You're listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TeppelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, this is episode three of Expand Your Horizons, the Teppel Horizons podcast. I'm Shannon, and this is Lauren. Hi, friends. And in this episode, we are discussing whether or not you should get some good solid training before you start teaching English. You can probably guess our stance on this particular issue. Right. So we have actually compiled a list of eight different reasons that you should invest in some good training before you start teaching. Before we start that list, uh, you're going to hear us refer to uh, a few acronyms that we just wanted to go over before we started. Uh, so in the industry, uh, the these two come up a lot, uh, TEFL versus TESOL. Um, mm-hmm. TEFL stands for teaching English as a foreign language. So that's something that you might do if you go to another country um, and teach non-native speakers English in, in their country. Right. So that's T-E-F-L, often pronounced as TEFL. Versus TESOL, T-E-S-O-L, which stands for teaching English to speakers of other languages. Uh, You might do that in your country or in a country where English is the native language to people who have come here or there to learn the language. Yeah, exactly. And I think these two terms are often confused a lot. Like people don't understand this TESOL or TEFL or what are all of these things? But really, both of those acronyms are just ways to describe what this industry is. So they're both just ways to say what we do. You know, instead of walking around saying, oh, we teach English to people who might speak English, but they're sort of learning to speak English. Right. We can just say TEFL or TESOL. Um, And really, for our purposes, there's no big difference between the two. Uh, They're often used pretty interchangeably. Right. And because today we are talking about teacher training, um, Shannon and I have a teacher training background, and more specifically, we trained on CELTA courses. Uh, So that's CELTA, C-E-L-T-A. And so you'll hear us talking about that a lot today. Yeah, absolutely. So CELTA actually stands for Certificate in English Language Teaching to Adults. Um, So basically what it is is a, a type of teaching English certification. So you'll often hear people say things like, oh, if you're going to get a certification to teach English, you know, are you getting a TEFL or are you getting a CELTA? Um, But this is a little bit weird. So as we just discussed, TEFL isn't actually a specific certificate. It's not a brand. It's not like one company that offers this thing called the TEFL certificate. Um, TEFL, again, is just the term for our industry. So that means that technically any certification that you get that is training you to be an ESL teacher is a TEFL certificate. Right, right. Um, So CELTA is really just like the name brand TEFL certificate. Right. Yeah. Good. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to our list. Um, So again, it's uh, we've put together a list of eight benefits of um, getting good training before you go and teach. Yes. So obviously, as former CELTA trainers um, and at times current CELTA trainers, we are obviously very pro investing in, in good training. So whether that's a CELTA certificate or something comparable, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, We think that it's a really good idea for you to get some good training before you go teach. And here is our list of reasons why. 
So number one is that with good training, you can ace interviews and demo lessons. So obviously, anytime you apply for a job, um, hopefully the next step is that you will be asked to interview for that job. And having good training means you will know what to say in that interview. Right. So a story that I like to tell, uh, it's a true story. My very first interview for an ESL teaching job after I had just finished my CELTA course was in Budapest. And I sat down for the interview. And after the sort of preliminary, you know, tell me about yourself type of question, the very first question that the interviewer asked me was, tell me how you would start a lesson. What would you do at the, in the beginning of a lesson? And because I had just come off of the CELTA course and because I'd had some really good training, I answered, I would start the lesson with a lead-in. Right. So I talked a little bit about what a lead-in is. I talked about the importance of you know, getting the students engaged in the context of the lesson and letting them warm up a little bit, um, that I would probably put the students in pairs at some point and let them talk for a few minutes to warm up. And she basically stopped me and said, yeah, I can tell you are well-trained. Right. I can tell you have a CELTA. And that was honestly almost the rest of the interview. I mean, she asked me a couple of other questions, but all she really wanted to do was quickly check and see that I actually did know what I was talking about, as she expected uh, from seeing the CELTA on my resume. Um, right. If you don't know what a lead-in is, by the way, we have a blog post. Uh, you can find it at tefelhorizons.com in the blog section. Um, about different lead-in techniques to make your lead-ins really student-centered and useful. So that's one thing to think about is the interview. The other thing that sometimes surprises people in this industry is that it is not uncommon for phase two of the interview to be a demo lesson. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this happens sometimes in the interview itself. Uh, sometimes the second part of the interview without any transition will be um, the interviewer saying something like, okay, Here's a grammar point. You know, you have 10 minutes or something like that. Teach me. Teach yeah. me this grammar point. Yeah. How would you do it? Um, in my case, in this particular interview, um, my interviewer said, okay, you know, we've, this part of the interview was great. Uh, we would like to invite you back tomorrow to do a demo lesson. And so she gave me um, a reading text from an upper intermediate course book and said, it's an upper intermediate class you need to plan a 45 minute reading lesson based on this article. And in both of these cases, with both of these things that I had to do, I always think about how different it would have been if I hadn't had a good training course. Like if I hadn't done CELTA, how would I have answered that interview question? Right. I mean, I, I can imagine I would have said something like, okay, how would I start a lesson? Um, I would greet the students. I would tell them my name. I would tell them to open their books like it I wouldn't have had any idea uh, what to say and same thing with the demo lesson I mean the thought of just being given a piece of material and saying come back tomorrow and teach this with these specifications had I not had that training oh yeah it would have been terrifying <laughs> <laughs> exactly like I would have been clueless I wouldn't yep. have known what to do with that absolutely so the fact that I knew is why I got the job and is why I felt even comfortable enough to be in that situation in the first place. Absolutely. It was invaluable. True, true. All yeah. right. Well, so point number two um, on our list is uh, your ability to gain understanding of uh, ESL 
methodology and common industry terms. So those of you who are new to teaching, you may have already heard things in this very podcast that you're not familiar with. We went over some acronyms at the beginning. We've talked about a lead-in. Um, and so I think one of the benefits to, to doing training and, uh, and gaining in, an understanding of, of methodology and terminology is that uh, it gives you a framework, so a common framework by which you can communicate your, your teaching ideas with others when you do en- mm-hmm. enter the industry. All of the, the resource books that you, that you um, will access uh, has, have those, those terms in them, mm-hmm. and you will need to understand what they mean in order to, inter- to understand the resources. Yeah. Uh, I also, I usually tell trainees that, you know, why not have terminology? Why not use terminology? You know, doctors use it. Lawyers use it. We're an industry. We should use it too. And, and we do. Right. Um, That's so true. There's a jargon, right? That goes absolutely. with every industry, that goes yeah. with every field. Yeah. And if you haven't had any training before you start teaching, then you don't know that language. Yeah. You know, you're not able to speak in the language of the industry. Exactly. Um, with one good training course, you are. Exactly. And the truth is, is that you don't have to make it up. There is no, uh, you know, from zero. It, there there are ways to teach lessons and, and you can learn those ways. So you don't have to make it up as you go. Um, getting a certification gives you structure um, and it gives you, it gives you knowledge to go into that first year of teaching. And take it, I mean, really take it from me. I went uh, I did my first year of teaching abroad without a teacher training. Um, certification and it was hard um and luckily I was teaching preschoolers and kindergartners who loved me anyway uh but I really would have benefited from from that initial training yeah absolutely and I think just just having that shared language is really really powerful that you know even if you manage to to get past that interview and get past that demo lesson without um, you know, at some point, a senior teacher or your director of studies is going to want to come and observe one of your lessons. And in the feedback that they give you, you're, they're going to be using this terminology. Absolutely. I think that's something that that teachers going into it pre-training or, for example, um, often our candidates coming into CELTA courses didn't quite understand that these terms aren't just terms that you use on the CELTA course. These are terms that everybody in the industry who knows what they're doing uses. Exactly. Um, and so knowing that is how you communicate about teaching uh, with other teachers, with other people in this field. Yep. Um, not to mention, of course, that it just gives you the street cred mm-hmm. <laughs> of sounding like you actually know what you're talking right, about right. because you do at that point after you get some good training. Um, so that brings us to number three. Number three, uh, the benefit here is knowing what you don't know. So what we mean by that is a lot of candidates who come into the CELTA course, for example, really aren't aware of just how much they don't know. Um, And it's not our fault, right? Like, as people who want to become English teachers, the first thing you need to be able to do is speak English. Check. (laughs) So as a native speaker, you can speak English, and it's a really common misconception that that is all you need. You need to be a little bit dynamic. You need to be comfortable speaking in front of people. Yes, true. Um, But it's very easy to think if you don't have any sense of what teaching English is actually like, it's very easy to think that all you need to know how to do is speak English and then you'll be able to figure it out from there without too much trouble. That's exactly right. Um, Knowing, you know, speaking with correct grammar also isn't, isn't enough. 
No. Right? Because <laughs> teaching it to turning around and teaching it to non-native speakers is, is a completely different thing. Exactly. So one of the benefits actually of training is probably not the most comfortable benefit because it's going to make you feel a little bit foolish or a little bit ignorant for a while. Um, but it's sort of figuring out just how much is there that you actually need to learn before you can be a really competent teacher. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so what a lot of trainees realize is that they they don't know grammar. I mean, just being able, as, as you said, Lauren, just being able to speak with correct grammar doesn't mean that you can turn around and explain that in a way that is at all accessible to a group of non-native correct. speakers. Um, knowing terminology. Students, especially adult students who have learned English as a second language or as another language, they know terminology. They know things like what the different verb tenses are called. I mean, mm -hmm. they know way beyond just noun, verb, adjective, adverb. They know things like the past perfect continuous tense. They know passive voice. Right. Um, they know all of these terms because they've had to learn them as right. second language learners. Yep. Much the way we do if we if we turn around and learn another language. And I mean, this is coming from us. We we're both undergrad English majors oh, so yeah. we we can write <laughs> we can speak but we still had to learn grammar uh in a way that, that english teachers have to learn it absolutely and even somebody like me who's kind of a grammar nerd freak <laughs> um who felt okay with the terminology actually which many people aren't even quite at that point like i had no idea how to communicate that knowledge to yeah. other people True. and the way i would have gone about it was not at all effective so I needed that training to figure out how to put that knowledge into a way that was uh, deliverable to yeah. students yeah I think that really leads nicely into our next point uh, the fourth point on our list is uh, when you when you do a training program you get access to resources um, and so the first obvious resource, of course, are books. Uh, training centers have libraries of resources that you can access. Uh, you use course books when you're teaching the students on the course um, that you can then uh, evaluate as something that you might want to use or never want to use again in the future. Um, but beyond the, the material resources, you have, you have access to people. Um, so people... First of all, your uh, co-teachers. Um, so you can start from day one to build up a, a network of teachers, which is super valuable in this industry because it's very often who you know. Um, so so-and-so was on the course with you and they're teaching in a country that you're interested in teaching in, for example. Um, and they are also quite literally the only people in your life for that one month of training or however long your training is that will understand exactly what you're going through. So that support mm -hmm. network is so, so very important. Exactly. And it's not even like who you know in the sense that knowing somebody will enable you to get the job over another candidate. Sure. It's, it's more that like you know somebody who's teaching somewhere and can give you information about what it's like yeah. to live and work in that place. And that might be the thing that makes you feel comfortable enough to go and live and teach there, or at least gives you some, you know, a, a big jump on what to do in yeah, that place absolutely, or how to function in that place. And the other advantage is also that you're, you have daily sessions, um, with your trainers. And so you have access, you have access to people who have a, a lot of experience, uh, and who have a lot of knowledge about the topic. Um, so daily your sessions will cover topics like, uh, such as methodology, how to teach grammar, for example, um, how to teach reading. Uh, and that's not always information that you can get very readily um, 
from uh, taking an online course, for example. Um, I think that an in-person teaching teacher training course is really the place to start um, because uh, because of the personalized attention that you get from your trainers. That's true. And the great thing about doing an in-person training course like the Celta course is that you don't just get the benefit of what your trainers say, like what they tell you to do. You actually get to learn by example every day. So they're actually teaching you how to teach, but they're leading these class sessions um, every time you're in class with them. So you can sort of mimic what they're doing. You, If you are observant, you can notice little things that they're doing, um, you know, ways even to do things, very detailed things such as hand out papers or... Um, you know, how often they, they ask questions right. and you can mimic a lot of those same techniques and you're actually getting this training implicitly, um, in addition to the explicit training that you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that leads us to number five, which is being able to teach beyond the course book. So it's not uncommon that you'll be given a course book to teach from, um, in your first teaching job. And that's great because it means you don't have to reinvent the wheel you know, very often you'll be given a course book that is at the appropriate level of the class level that you're teaching. Um, and you'll even be told, you know, maybe things as specific as how many units you need to, to cover in right, a certain amount right. of time. But then you'll have some flexibility from there. However, something I think we've both seen a lot in observing other teachers through our careers is um, you can probably imagine this as well. You have those teachers who say, hello, class. Let's open our books to page six. Let's all do exercise number one. Let's all do exercise number two. And they basically just go step by step, exercise by exercise, all the way down the page um, of that book. At first glance, maybe there's nothing wrong with that, right? The course book is laid out a certain way for a reason. Sure. Um, <laughs> what's, you know, you've been given that course book. It's at the level of your students. Why not just just teach right from it. Um, but the question that I always have to ask is, if that's the way it's done, if that's the way you're, you're teaching is straight from the course book like that, what exactly are your students getting from that class that they couldn't get by studying the course book at home by themselves? Correct. And doing the exercise from their couch in their pajamas. Right. The thing that I also like to say is that you know your students better than that course book knows your students. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, it's always better to tailor your lessons to your students' needs. Exactly. And the course books are a wealth of information. Um, there's a ton, a ton of good stuff there that you can use. But again, the course book doesn't know any of the specifics of your class. So they don't know your students. They don't know how long your class is. They don't know if you have 45 minutes, if you have 90 right. minutes, if you have three hours. They don't know what your students in particular are good at or are struggling with or what they like. Um, they don't know what you just did yesterday or what your students might have done last month. So you know, you know your students and you know what you need to do in that class. The course book assumes that you have all the time in the world to teach all the things. Uh, yep. So I like to tell candidates to think of the course book as just this collection of raw material from which to sculpt your perfect lesson. That's great advice. And being on a training course like CELTA gives you the understanding of how to do that. So how to take what's in the book and then sculpt it into a really good lesson where you are putting in a lot as well. You're giving the students something more than just what's on that book page. Right. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that brings us to point number six. Yeah. Then. So point number six um, is that 
with the teacher training um, uh, program behind you, you can start off your your teaching experience or teaching career even uh, with a development mentality. And so what we mean by that is that uh, after training, that whole you know first year, several years of training will be more meaningful to you post-training because you'll be able to see um, how you're growing as a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I went into a classroom not not having been trained, and it was really hard for me to measure whether or not I was growing as a teacher because I hadn't been taught to look at my lessons. Um, I, I didn't know if they were good or not. And it wasn't until I was trained by an amazing teacher who had a Delta, actually, um, who taught me uh, how to look at my lessons and to, and to see if the students were actually learning anything. Um, it's, it's really, really hard to go into uh, your first year teaching, teaching and, and not knowing uh, how, how to measure that experience. So I always, I always encourage teachers, if you think you're going to stay in, you know, uh, in a country teaching English for a year or more, get the certification. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think there's something really different about getting a certification where you have actual classroom teaching experience with ESL learners rather, again, than something that's just online where you have a certification, but you haven't actually been in the classroom and you haven't actually been observed. You know, there are those dreaded interview questions that are very specific, like um, describe a time when you had an issue with classroom management and what happened and how did you deal with it? Well, if you're a new teacher and you don't have any paid teaching experience that you can talk about, you don't have an answer to that question. But if your training course, even though it wasn't paid teaching, like you weren't hired as a teacher, you were still teaching in the classroom. So you can talk about things that happened on that course uh, when you were actually working with students. You you, You know what what that's like so and it's not to knock I mean I I did an online training course before I knew better and uh it was it was uh, a series of watching other teachers teach lessons and then answering questions about them and whether or not they did it correctly um which is great it was fine um but like Shannon just said that no one evaluated me teaching I went into my first classroom ever never having been in a classroom before my first lesson I I don't even remember it thank goodness they were three-year-olds because they (laughs) forgave me but you know how how did I think I could walk into a classroom never having been evaluated in the classroom I don't know um get training (laughs) yeah and I think as um as painful as it is at times there is something so powerful and so helpful about um making mistakes on your training course. So if you have a training course where you are actually getting hands-on classroom experience, um, you might think that something is going to work really well. And there is nothing as memorable as a room full of people staring at you with blank looks on their faces (laughs) and knowing, okay, that did not work. And then being able to talk about it with your peers on the course and with your trainer afterwards and talking about, okay, why did it not work and what can you do next time to make it work better. Yeah, actually, Shannon, that brings you to your next point. It does, yeah. So our next point is um, getting comfortable being observed and also being able to observe others with a really sort of critical, not critical in a bad sense, but critical as in you're thinking about their lesson, um, a critical eye. So on the CELTA course, I think probably one of the, the best and also maybe least comfortable aspects of it 
is that you get observed teaching six hours of, of lessons. Um, so what that means is basically you plan six hours of lessons broken into different chunks. And while you're teaching, your classmates and the trainer are sitting in the back of the room watching you. Yeah. <laughs> the class is yours. Nobody's going to jump in and help you unless you're really drowning <laughs> in, in a lesson. Um, it's you teaching the class, but with a group of people watching you do that. And so they watch what goes well, they watch what doesn't go well, and they take notes the whole time. Um, you also get to watch your peers teach. But so after each teaching practice session, um, you do feedback and you talk about everything that happened in the lessons. And even though it's really uncomfortable to be observed, as I'm sure everybody can imagine, it's really helpful to understand that that's not a bad thing. Like right. people seeing you make mistakes and then talking about it afterwards isn't inherently negative. That's helpful. Um, like as, as you were saying, Lauren, that sort of kicks off that development mentality of knowing that every time that's happening, it means you're becoming a better teacher. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I worked as a senior teacher and would go and do observations of other teachers on my team, um, it was always a really telltale sign when a teacher didn't want me in their classroom. Yes. <laughs> when somebody doesn't want to be observed, there's this idea of like, well, what are you hiding? Exactly. <laughs> I used to do observations too. And I could always tell without knowing the person, um, who had a teacher training, specifically Selta, and who didn't. Um, and also, I mean, on the other hand, there were, there were teachers, there, there was a teacher that had been teaching for longer than, well, longer than I had, much longer than I had. Um, and uh, the aims at the end of my observation, uh, in my opinion, the aims had not been achieved because um, I don't think that the, the teacher knew what the aims were either. It's confusing. Yeah. It was a very confusing lesson. Um, he didn't have training, uh, but he did have 17 years experience. There's a quote that I like to, um, that I like to say a lot. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's basically, um, that there are two types of teachers that have 20 oh, yeah. years, uh, teaching experience. Uh, the teacher who has 20 years, ex 20 years of one, no, how does it go? 20 Something years. Like um, there are two types of teachers. One teacher has 20 years of experience yeah. and one has one year of experience. 20 times. Repeated 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, and I noticed that repeatedly, um, in doing observations. Yeah. Observation is a really big part of that. And I think even if you don't love it, I mean, it's normal to feel super nervous and super awkward about somebody coming into your classroom to observe you and then talking about maybe all the ways you screwed up after that. Although we would hope that a lot of the feedback would be positive as well. There should be a balance. Um, but there's something good about just sort of accepting that, knowing that like, yeah, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but in the long run, it's, it's really beneficial. Um, and that goes hand in hand with being comfortable observing other teachers as well yeah. and actually knowing what you're looking for. Yeah. So being able to observe them in a way that's going to be helpful where you can actually give them really good constructive feedback yep. rather than saying, oh, yeah, the lesson was nice. Exactly. <laughs> so you exactly. actually know what you're looking at when you're watching a lesson and yep. what, you know, you can identify the different stages. You can identify the um, the reasoning behind why they might be doing certain things, and you'll actually be able to give them really good suggestions. Yeah. True. That's true. Um, and as we get to our last point, we, we start to think about whether training has benefits um, outside of the classroom 
whether training um, can benefit you in your life, um, not as a teacher, you know, but as but as a human. Um, mm-hmm. We've had we've had some trainees um, who've gone on, you know, after training, not not to teach, uh, but into other industries, um, and they've written back and, and told us that they felt that their time on the CELTA course was so important because it helped them learn how to communicate. And I think you know, there's some truth in that, that if we can learn how to communicate our ideas with non-native speakers, it can really benefit us um, in interacting also with native speakers. Yeah, absolutely. And what do they say that people tend to fear public speaking even over death or something yeah, crazy yes, like that is yep. the statistics? So if we think about how uncomfortable people tend to be in front of a classroom, um, getting this really solid training where you're not only in front of a group of people doing something you're not really sure how to do yet, but you're also being observed and evaluated doing that thing. Putting yourself through that experience is like, you know, Toastmasters on steroids. Right. (laughs) Gives you a lot of, I think, a lot of um, confidence and it just sort of helps you, I think, develop this understanding that like, yeah, you're going to screw up and that's going to be okay. And it gives you some coping strategies for when that happens. That's absolutely (laughs) true. It's absolutely true. And also uh, structure maybe to presentations that you have to do in the future. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, yeah, we talk so much about making lessons, you know, student-centered, student-centered, getting the students communicating um, this task cycle of letting the students reflect on something first and then talk about it with each other. And then we give feedback and we, you know, we share ideas and give them answers. Um, obviously, that's really helpful in language learning, but I think that's helpful in, in a lot of different areas. It like, absolutely I is. think that's how people learn a lot better. And taking that, taking a boring PowerPoint presentation in whatever industry you want, um, whatever kind of presentation it is, and adding some of those elements in, yeah, where you're getting the people watching to actually communicate with each other and reflect in the moment on what they're hearing. It can absolutely work with large groups too. Yeah. I was I was invited one time to Shannon knows this story. I was invited <laughs> to Brazil one time oh, to God. do a quote unquote small teacher training presentation. Um, and so I got there, uh, to what I thought was going to be no more than 200 teachers. And it turned out to be, uh, an auditorium full. So to about 1200, um, people there for my, uh, w- presentation, I guess, no longer teacher, teacher training. Um, and it was on, and, and there were recorders there and with microphones in my face, it was, it was horrifying. Anyway, so <laughs> I got up, like, it was like, I, I'm, I'm five feet one on a good day. So it was like little me on this huge stage with this huge screen behind me and my PowerPoint presentation is like projected up there. And so all I'm thinking is, I don't know what to do to get out of this. Like, I just don't know what to do. And so I I just started as though I would start any training and said, okay, now turn and talk to your partner about... And the entire room erupted in into uh, laughter and talking. And it was amazing. These, these techniques can work um, in other aspects of your life too. They really can. And I think it takes so much of that pressure off of you and it, it becomes this inclusive experience with your audience, right? Your audience suddenly become your trainees um, with whom you're communicating rather than just these people staring at you. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just to recap, here are the eight reasons we mentioned that you should get some good solid training before you start teaching. Number one is so that you can ace your interviews and know how to successfully teach your demo lesson. 
Uh, number two is to gain an understanding of ESL teaching methodology and those common industry terms we were talking about. Um, gives you some street cred, but it's also super useful. <laughs> number three is knowing what you don't know. So actually getting a sense of all the things that you need to learn in the process of getting trained. Number four is to gain access to resources um, such as books, uh, but also people um, and networking. Number five is being able to teach beyond the book. So knowing exactly how to use that course book and get the most out of it. Number six, getting meaningful experience and starting off with a development mentality. So uh, getting uh, meaningful uh, first year experience after your certification, for example. Number seven is getting comfortable being observed and knowing what exactly you're looking for when you observe other teachers. And number eight is applying training to other areas of your life um, and gaining general communication skills. Um, well, that sums up our list. <laughs> we, you've had a great time sharing some ideas with you. We have. Uh, if you're not convinced by now, you might be wondering um, why you shouldn't get a SELSA. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. I think if you are planning to teach maybe just for six months to a year and you know that that's all it's going to be, um, then that's true. You probably don't need to invest the time and the money in an actual SELSA certification. But if you fall in love with it like I did after your first year, you might want to pause for a second and do that certification. That's the problem. And we, I mean, we are not in any way affiliated with, you know, we're not getting money from saying no, this. No, no. Yeah, and we we really believe in it. We've been yeah. doing it for a really long time, um, and we've seen the benefits. Exactly. I did the SELSA myself before I ever started training on SELSA, and it completely changed my understanding of what learning was. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and next week we'll be talking even more in-depth about what to do once you officially decide to get a certification. So tune in this coming Tuesday, and we will see you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this, and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.